Hello and welcome to Dr. Kilo's Film Emporium. We are now at episode 5 and it's great to have you on board. Uh, thank you so much um, for all the listeners that have had around the world. It's been quite humble to see people in the UK, USA, Mexico, uh, France and Georgia. So yes, hello to you all. So this week in Emporium, uh, we have we are expecting a very special guest, uh, Dr. Vincent Gain, to make an appearance. Oh, hmm, I don't know where he might be. Hmm, he said he's going to be here on time. I'm already here. Oh, whoa! You couldn't see that if you're listening in black and white, but I've just turned around sharply, and Vince is already there, smiling at me in a slightly sinister fashion. Dr. Gain, how are you? I am well. My remote access terminal uh, logged into your device quite easily and I spread my malware bringing me thus to the Emporium which I must say is a decidedly charming venue. Well thank you very much but I don't appreciate the hack so yeah we'll talk about that later. Anyway so I'll just um, hang my black hat over here then. Indeed you do that on the black hat stand which is uh, just over in the corner thank you so um, yeah there's a there's a dusty chair which I will dust away Okay, that should be better. Right, take a seat, please. And Why, yes, thank you. You're welcome. Th- welcome to the Emporium. Uh, we have cleared a space in the front window for you. Uh, so please do tell me about the film that you've brought uh, to, for us to have a look at. And, uh, and yeah, tell me why you've uh, brought it, just briefly. Certainly. Uh, well, the film that I have brought along today is 2015's Black Hat, uh, directed by Michael Mann, about whom we will say a bit more. Uh, Black Hat is a cyber thriller. It is a digital crime thriller um, par excellence, which, um, as I say, was released in 2015, um, but was very little seen. So I am hoping that the Emporium will somewhat bring close, greater attention to it, um, because I think it's a film that warrants uh, more, more people seeing it. Well, Michael Mann, a quality director. Uh, this is a director that you know a fair bit about, but we'll get into that later. So first of all, Vince, I'd like to take uh, you on a little journey, uh, going back to perhaps uh, part of your childhood, which probably had quite a, um, a profound effect on your uh, on your future life. And that was, when did you see your very first film at the cinema? And what was it? And where did you see it? I have an apology to make because... Oh to you and to uh, our dear listeners, because they've kind of heard this before. Much like one of your previous guests, Ellen Wright, the first film I saw in the cinema was Disney's The Jungle Book. No. Originally released (laughs) in 1967, and then re-released at some point in the mid-1980s. I just, uh, I appreciate you not really want to reveal your age there, but yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll brush (laughs) Um, that over, go on. (laughs) Yeah, that was the uh, first film I saw in the cinema. It wasn't the same cinema as Ellen, was it? (laughs) I doubt it. I know I I grew up, well, I was born in Swindon, but I remember we travelled to Oxford to see that. Um, So uh, probably not, but it might well have been at the time on the same Mm. re-release. So maybe it was on the same day. Who knows? Different. um, Well, nearly at different ends of the United Kingdom, you had two people who would go on to become film scholars, both getting their first cinematic experience. Uh, However, there's a PhD in there somewhere, I'm sure. (laughs) about uh, possible coincidences and uh, serendipitous moments but go on (laughs) i think so but i will put a however on that because while that was my first cinematic experience it was not the most significant one Mm. which didn't come until uh, march 1996 okay which was when i saw it might have been february 
early 1996 when I saw Michael Mann's Heat for the first time. Um, That was, um, if you like, the uh, moment of my film scholar conception. And I was 17 at the time, so Mm -hmm. people can work out my age from there. Um, So that was what I would describe as a genuinely profound experience not least, I think, because it was unexpected. Now, mm. I went to see this film, which you know was a big crime action film. I thought, okay, this, this looks good. And then I came out changed. Mm-hmm. In um, what way were you way changed? What way were you changed? Um, changed in the way that I had never really seen what film could do, mm-hmm. that you could take so many elements and bring them together. I have uh, revisited Heat many times over the years, which I'll say a bit more about in a minute. Um, But what I would um, describe it as um, following my most recent viewing is Heat is a crystalline assembly of the cinematic form with every element harmonised within a sweeping contemporary tragedy of commitment and contingency. Now, a lot of those fancy words I can say now, I wouldn't have said them in 1996, Mm -hmm. but the perfect harmonization this unity of the various elements of cinema um was not something i had realized could happen and mm-hmm. that's how i came out changed okay so with man i mean what what's uh, how many films he did done by that point because he'd really hit his stride i think as a filmmaker at that point hadn't he he'd started yeah, in the right. 70s um, as a, was it the uh, heat would have been his fifth theatrical mm-hmm. release okay um coming out in 1995 and then uh early 96 in the uk um after thief um the keep manhunter the last mohicans as Mm. well as a couple of tv movies so if you like it's his seventh film la take uh, jericho mile la takedown yeah which uh, was based on wasn't it that's correct yes heat was based on a tv movie um, L.A. Takedown, although to be fair, L.A. Takedown itself is a whittled down version of the screenplay of Heat that Mann had written some time mm-hmm. previously. Mm-hmm. The story of that film's production is a really long and interesting one, which you could devote an entire podcast to. Um, there is actually a podcast called One Heat Minute, which goes through Heat one minute at a time. <laughs> oh, dear <So> God. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a lot of conversations for another time. Indeed. But, indeed. Um, yeah. So it was um, it was a big, it was a big it was a re- pretty big success at its time. Um, you know, it was heralded for being the first time Al Pacino and Robert De Niro on screen together. Mm-hmm. Um, and for my money, um, the best time they've been on screen together, because mm. personally, I'm not a big fan of The Irishman. <laughs> no, I think possibly overpraised, um, definitely over long, in my opinion. But that's, oh, yeah. uh, again, a conversation for another time. So so Man was uh, basically became one of your favourite uh, directors for that. Yep. So did that prompt you then to think, OK, this film has set a fire in me. What happens next at 18? Do you go start to do media studies or where does it go from there? Well, actually, although it lit a fire, it was only a kind of some glowing embers initially. Ah. Um, And it wasn't, I actually started out at university studying law, Mm -hmm. um, which often surprises people who know me. Um, But after a while, I decided that wasn't for me. I changed subject. And by doing... um, uh, a degree in American studies, I came across um, the delights of film studies and mm. thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. Let's look into this in more detail. And I ended up writing my undergraduate dissertation on James Cameron mm. and my master's dissertation on David Fincher. But mm. Michael Mann was always sort of there in the background. Heat had been important to me, and I had also seen The Last of the Mohicans. 
Um, I had I was a big fan of the Silence of the Lambs, so I sought out Manhunter. Um, and then, but I think the one that probably tipped me towards looking at men more seriously was The Insider, mm. which for my money yeah. is actually his most impressive film. Okay. Um, that came out in um, 99. And I, again, saw it a little while later in early 2000. And I got this idea of I could actually do a lot more on this. Mm. And I ended up deciding I wanted to do a PhD in film studies, which would be all about Michael Mann. And, okay. Well, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. So Insider being Russell Crowe and Al Pacino? Um, that's correct it? yes it's a and based it's, on fact uh, yeah, drama the, about a tobacco industry whistleblower that's it and russell crowe i think he's pretty good in this isn't he some say it's his best performance and that yeah. when he he was nominated for the oscar for best actor and didn't win but then he did win the following year for gladiator that and some sort of uh, responses to this would suggest that the award for was as much for the insider as it was for gladiator mm-hmm. often away with with the academy i think they often yeah. get all yeah you don't get uh, an academy award for next necessarily that film but for previous films mm, interesting so tell me more about your thesis and you did this at so the university of east anglia That is correct, yes. I started my PhD in film studies at the University of East Anglia. Um, Initially, it was this fairly vague idea of, well, I want to look at Michael Mann and see what I can get from his work. And from there, I started drawing in different elements, including, um, obviously, author, um, author studies and genre studies. But the kind of the big thing was existential philosophy. When I tell students that, they look very scared (laughs) Um, uh, understandably so (laughs) yeah yeah, of course Um, and what it ended up being was uh, the final thesis was called existential man (laughs) get it Uh, uh Um, existentialism and social engagement in the films of Michael Mann and what I argue is that across man's oeuvre you have this um, uh, the existential um, man the uh, the um, the sense of um, an existential individual or sometimes pair of individuals who sort of um, fight, whose existential guiding ethic jars against their type of social engagement, which is why man's protagonists tend, they're all male, they tend mm-hmm. to be loners, they mm-hmm. don't really fit, but they are so utterly committed to uh, what they do um, that this is what, and um, that, that's, that they do it anyway. And that's, this, I think, gives us a lot of very um, compelling drama because you've got these very committed individuals who are kind of fighting against their surroundings, whether it is um, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in Heat, uh, both trying to uh, manage their various personal relationships, whether it's Johnny Depp as John Dillinger in Public Enemies Absolutely being kind film. of more yeah. of a Wild West um, outlaw, but in a time of increasing modernization, mm-hmm. or whether it's you know Al Pacino and Russell Russell Crowe in The Insider trying to negotiate their need to get the truth out about tobacco industry um, while being faced with no end of um, legal blocks and corporate skullduggery. Mm. Um, it's so, a pretty I mean... consistent th- um, <clears throat> uh, trope across man's um, oeuvre, and it's certainly found in his most recent film, Black Hat. Marvellous. Nice uh, nice segue in there, Dr. G. So let's talk about Black Hat. So this was a rare misfire from, from man, really, because I was thinking also, going slightly backpedalling, uh, I was thinking Collateral, which obviously has Tom Cruise in a very, very rare villainous role as well. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, that is a man film, isn't it, as well? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I was thinking about the, the two, like Jamie Foxx's Taxi Driver and Tom Cruise's Assassin, etc., kind of struggling together but there's yeah mm, interesting interesting mm-hmm. so with 
with Black Hat, um, it's Chris Hemsworth, and there's not many other fa um, famous actors in this, is there? And it is the lot of the star power rested with him at this point. True. Would you say that's yeah. um, would you say that's about right or? Yeah, I would say. I mean, the, I mean, if you look at the publicity for the film, it does emphasize Chris Hemsworth. His face is prominent on the poster, and this coming out in 2015, which is the same year as Avengers: Age of Ultron. Mm. Um, Hemsworth is very much established by this stage as the God of Thunder, Thor, um, mm. from Marvel. Now he is quite clearly in Black Hat, the world's hunkiest hacker. <laughs> um, you know, there is a stereotypical image of a hacker, which I'm sure is not true, mm -hmm. but uh, at least not entirely true. But yeah. that stereotype is not does not look like Chris Hemsworth. Mm. But I so. find and I find that very interesting that you are that it, the film's kind of playing with expectations from the get go. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, as you say, there aren't necessarily that many major stars in it. However, um, there is a future Oscar winner in there with mm -hmm. Viola Davis. Indeed. Would, um, yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so she would, the, um, and there FBI, are a FBI couple of other. Agent, um, Barrett, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, right. she appears in a lot of stuff, Viola Davis. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So yeah. also, is it Tang Wei, who's um, who's in Lost Caution, and is it, so was this a crossover? Do you think in terms of trying to appeal to uh, perhaps Asian audiences as well? A... Yes, I. Um, mm. If you look at a lot of the reviews, I mean, this film did not do. I mean, it didn't do well commercially, and it did not do well critically. Mm. Um, it's one of the reasons I picked it because I thought, well, this would be an interesting one that. Um, I wanted to make sure that whatever film we talked about was one that didn't have a particularly good um, critical response. Um, if you check, uh, say, on Rotten Tomatoes, um, it's I got a thirty-two percent rating, 32 which awful, yeah, is uh, which is not good. No. Um, but you no. know they're wrong. They are wrong. They are <laughs> um, wrong. Yes, indeed. Yes, naturally. Yes. Um, but what is interesting is quite a lot of the negative reviews for this film comment on that it feels uh, like a fairly lazy, um, cynical ploy to attract a Chinese audience by mm. having prominent Chinese characters, by making, by presenting the People's Liberation Army of the People's Republic of China seem terribly efficient, terribly benevolent, mm. um, and so on. And it's all about, um, you know, we're seeing all these devoted cops, uh, law enforcement people, whether they're from China or they're from the FBI, or if they happen to be this furloughed, um, convicted hacker. Um, Chris Hemsworth character and Nick Hathaway ultimately they're all there to do the right thing mm -hmm. um, and the inclusion of many sequences of sequences in Hong Kong um, an emphasis on particular types of technology as well like there's a you know an Android it's got to be an Android phone it can't be an iPhone for some reason mm -hmm. um, some, it, it has been read think, as yeah. being quite cynical in that respect it's trying Indeed. to cater to the Chinese audience which you know it didn't seem it didn't do well with any audiences okay why do you think that is why it didn't do well with audiences? Mm. Um, well, frankly, because of it had a very limited distribution. I am. Ah. I don't believe that. If, I, I. I don't believe the film's commercial or critical success has anything to do with its quality. Mm -hmm. I think that the response to it is effectively the determination of its quality. Um, nobody knows how good a film is until they see it, mm -hmm. and in order to do that, it has to be easily accessible. Mm. Um, so because the film had such a limited release um it was pushed out in january in the us in uh, 2015 with such a limited release um not enough people saw it mm -hmm. is my view um, of it um in terms of why it didn't work critically i think that's kind of down to um the film's commitment to what it does now we've talked a bit about you know it's very 
it's got a very sort of transnational cast and i think that's mm -hmm. kind of the point um mm. that's actually a dramatic conceit of the film this is a film of globalization about globalization mm -hmm. as in we've got this global cast um, and we've got the global reach because the film is to do with hacking across the world mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's got this this tagline we are no longer safe on the one hand that's saying everyone's vulnerable to hacking and it also means that there are no borders mm -hmm. um, in, in that respect I think that's key to it but what the film does is it very much kind of assumes this it doesn't uh, take you by the hand or lead you through it just drops you straight in right off we go which mm -hmm. is not uncommon and um, the same thing uh, Michael Mann did the same thing with Miami Vice mm. you know you sort of dropped into the middle of it and you can constant and you do need to concentrate to follow what's going on and ultimately the story is not necessarily complex but the world it presents is one that you will have certain you will have different responses to I think um, some people will probably find it incomprehensible mm -hmm. and they may find that fascinating they may find it boring mm. I I don't know how accurate it is in terms of its presentation of um, cyber terrorism and um, hacking crime, but um, I don't care. But I wouldn't be surprised if certain experts would probably say, no, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole premise of this hacker who's been convicted and is then furloughed, he gets an awful lot of freedom over the course of the film. I'm sure it's not particularly realistic. Mm. I don't care about any of that as a, um, as a viewer of the film, what I want to know is, does this work dramatically? Am I involved in it? And yeah. from my perspective, I can only speak to myself, I found it absolutely um, enthralling. I think it starts with these opening images of a planet um, illuminated by technology. And then we go um, into the computer, into a computer that is it's so tiny, but it's made, but it shows this macro and micro scale um, of mm -hmm. our interconnected digital world and in a sense some respects that's kind of scary mm -hmm. but it's and that's you know makes it and that makes it dramatic hugely dramatic i think um it is a truly um digital film um which is important both in terms of its content but also its aesthetic mm -hmm. uh because michael mann's been a very much a um pioneer of digital film you mm -hmm. mentioned collateral earlier that was one uh, that he really embraced the digital format kind of ahead of many other filmmakers. Mm. Um, and then he carried on with Miami Vice and Public Enemies and Black Hat. They are what I like to call um, digital noir. Okay. Um, they're taking the tropes of crime yes. cinema of Westerns and of film noir, but they are digitizing it in a way that is, I think, exciting and from a narrative and a stylistic perspective. Mm. I mean, thematically, um, digital noir still tackles the same kind of sense of cityscapes, paranoia, darkness, the sort of the chiaroscuro stuff going on. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, I remember. Absolutely. That... And it does it through kind of visual parallels that you've got mm. the grid-like layout of a computer circuit board which parallels the grid-like layout of a city mm, excellent so with um i think going back to public enemies i remember reading an interview with man that um they had to actually adjust the gunpowder in the um in the tommy guns which uh, were being used by johnny depp and uh, stephen graham etc because on digital they, they actually came out differently to if you actually use 35 mil film so he's been using digital cameras now for quite some time and i think he definitely used it um with his film as well from what i've read okay yeah, that's correct. so he's got a um there's a certain uh, commitment there i think so yeah going back to the uh philosophical uh, aspects of it so 
the you got um, Chris Hemsworth uh, Hathaway the hacker, the hunky hacker Hathaway the hunky hacker, and what what's the extension? What's the existential angle on this? I mean, is is there sort of a, uh, questions of digital identities and things? And you know, who are we? Are we just data? I mean, is it is that touched upon at all, or is it do they sort of get through that to get to the actual meat of the action and the plot? I think that is part and parcel of the meat of the action. Mm-hmm. Um, the It is a film simultaneously about um, connection and isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's notable that characters are talking about forms of connection all the time, but they are often visually presented in quite, in quite wide ex- expanses. Um, and, and, and what that does is it, it, it creates a sense of the isolation. Um, there's a... And it's kind of, on the one hand, it's dehumanizing because, yes, there is this sense of your identity is effectively being digitized. Um, there is one sequence where Hemsworth's Hathaway talks to the villain um, on a phone. Can you believe it? How old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, and he talks about your reputation in the digital world. Mm. Um, so uh, that's kind of um, notable. So there is a sense of sort of reputation um, mm. being as. Uh, it's carrying you forward much as the reputation would have been in any sort of criminal underworld. Mm, um, mm. And there is this, and what this does is it's showing there's the tension, the tension between um, unif- between being unified and interconnected and being isolated. People can't interact or engage because of this digitization. Um, and what the characters do very typically for a man film is they define their identity. There are scenes when, um, uh, Tang Wei's character Lien talks to um, Nick Hathaway asking him about so what was your crime and how did you manage your time in prison and how did you end up like this and what's interesting is he gives this whole kind of spiel which is I think um, which is quite common for uh, man's protagonists um, you know like uh, <clears throat> Robert De Niro says in Heat you know I am alone I am not lonely but the film I think mm-hmm. always looks at these with a certain irony mm-hmm. and what's interesting in Blackhead especially is that um, Leanne kind of seems to see through that and she says, you sure about that? Um, how much of what you're saying is kind of macho bullshit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think um, Mann has been accused of being um, you know, somewhat chauvinistic, he's only interested in men, sure. but I th- and while I think that's fair, he is interested in men to be interested in something and to focus on it is not necessarily to valorise it, and I think no. his entire oeuvre has this um, consistency of critiquing certain types of, um, well, a particular type of rugged masculinity. Mm-hmm. And Black Hat, I think, is an interesting development of that because the um, the relationship, the romance that occurs between um, Nick and Liam is, um, it feels somewhat um, cliched, but it also demonstrates mm-hmm. a kind of um, defiant romance, which you get in The Last of the Mohicans as well, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a matter of that, Hathaway, he kind of represents this need to declare one's own identity in defiance against the dehumanizing technology around him. And I think Lien is able to soften that slightly because she's a, um, a computing whiz as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is I think the union between them proves very interesting. Um, I'm not going to you know, give deep spoilers about how it all Indeed. works out. You know, people should because yeah. I want people to see the film. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> um, and uh, but I think it uh, it is a development, and I hope that whenever he makes another film, because Man has never been prolific, but he's become even his works become even more sporadic mm-hmm. in the past decade. It's the only film he's made in the past decade. Um, right. I hope that when he makes another film, 
um, it will have a uh, that he will go back to the sort of idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, that's really interesting. Okay, so lots of news upon there. So you mentioned about auteur theory and just the the director, or not always the director, but usually the director as the as the author as the creator of the film. Um, what kind of motifs or you've mentioned about you know there's an existential you can say look at it from a philosophical perspective with Michael Mann's films but I mean visually he's such um, a striking director I think the and the sound too I think this is where uh, certainly in Collateral there's the the nightclub scene which I absolutely loved because of his use of music and there's very sort of cool color palette as well which which just went together so well um, what I mean does he use particular themes I mean Tarantino Famously, he always has a, a car boot shot, etc. That's kind of that's that's one of his uh, identifying um, tropes, I suppose. But the yeah, in terms of um, on a broader level, uh, what other themes has he got there? You've mentioned about the sort of the lone, the um, solitary man who may not be lonely but is alone. Is there anything else that uh, would identify him as an auteur director? Can he be defined as an auteur director? Um, auteur director is a terribly tricky term and it seems I think it works better for people like us looking at films than for those actually making them because film is such an intensely collaborative practice mm -hmm. however um, uh, I think man would fit into an understanding of an auteur because he works as writer producer and director so he's got a high level of control mm -hmm. um, maybe that's one of the reasons he's not been working much lately he's finding it difficult to get that level of control mm. um, yeah so I think I mentioned I mean as I said we I mentioned existentialism, but there's also this idea of social engagement. There is the difficulty for, um, he's exploring the difficulty of people to engage in their world. They are somewhat um, at odds with it. Mm -hmm. And in the, sense, in the case that forever, for, for every um, goal you have, there's a whole array of other contingencies that you need to operate in relation to which does tie back to the existential side of things because one of the key aspects of existential philosophy is uh, being in the world, being aware um, and acknowledging the um, interests and pursuits of others. And I think what man ex has explored consistently in his oeuvre is the tension that comes from that kind of interaction. It's not about riding roughshod over the needs of others. It's about trying to, um, it's about pushing different um, needs and interests against each other and as a result you know, there's conflict um, there's tension in terms of uh, kind of cinematic um, motifs and so on I think a key thing with man is detail mm -hmm. um, that we get a great level of detail um, in terms of like the sociological detail of something like heat and the technological detail in something like um, black hat I think it's um significant that what we've got particularly with his embrace of the digital medium is a kind of equalization whether the item in the frame is human or a device or a landscape the digital cinematography tends to kind of blur things together now this is used especially well in collateral because mm -hmm. that's such a tight um, film it's all happens mm -hmm. in it all happens in one night um, black hat has a much broader um palette mm -hmm. um but it's got this um Similarly, it, does this, uh, it has this aesthetic which very much places the characters within this landscape, which is kind of overwhelming. And yet at the same time, they demonstrate um, a lot of um, defiance against that. Now, um, much like uh, you mentioned the gun battle in Collateral, there's, of course, a very famous gun battle in Heat, mm -hmm. uh, which, um, you know, is 
one of the loudest battles you're ever likely to hear, I think. Yes. Um, and what um, Mann is especially skilled at doing, I think, is um, he, he uses his both his visual and his aural design to place the viewer right in the centre of the action. So it's the kind of the immersive quality of cinema. Mm. Um, oh, for sure. Some talk yeah. about you, oh, immersive. Is that 3D? You don't need to use 3D mm. to immerse. You can do it um, uh, with uh, where you place the camera and how you put this and how you raise the sound i think there's a particular um gun battle in black hat when it it kind of looks like um news footage um mm-hmm. okay. as if you were a journalist embedded with military troops right. um that you would this is kind of like it would be if you were there it's close shot at close quarters the explosions and the gunshots are incredibly loud and as a result this has a sense of um making the nearest piece of cover becomes the most important thing in the world as it would mm-hmm. be when someone's shooting at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another action sequence later on in the film when um, our hero has to kind of improvise um, against this armed gang um, in this very big crowded um, sort of parade, which kind of ca- which carries on. So you've got these little men trying to be big men in a world that is engulfing and yet they're still sort of combating against it. So it's, um, I think that's a key trope, that man is very much about placing people in landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I guess the most obvious example there would be in The Last of the Mohicans, where you've got these gorgeous landscapes, these mountains wreathed in trees um, with this very sweeping music. And then moving through it, you've got these little figures, um, while around them, a whole nation is sort of being formulated. Mm. And I think Black Hat is perhaps pointing to something similar that you've got these little figures moving in this global scape of interconnected technology. And what's actually going to come about is not, I think, entirely clear. Mm-hmm. Um, is some kind of defiance, is some kind of independence, um, existential truth, is that actually possible when everything can be digitised? Mm-hmm. I don't think the film answers that question, but it does pose it and it does explore it, uh, which is one of the many reasons it's a masterpiece. Indeed. Um, it actually got, um, I think it was uh, on a number of critics' um, must-see lists for 2015. I think it was a number of uh, people that actually think, actually, this is pretty good as well. So from certainly from... Well, there are a read. few, yeah. I mean, um, I remember Robbie Collin of the Daily Telegraph, he gave it mm-hmm. a glowing review, and he's come back mm-hmm. to it a few times in later reviews, um, drawing attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, he's right. And, uh, yeah, yeah uh, those... Um, there seem to be... It seems to have got a, a largely... Um, negative response but it is interesting I think as always when you're looking at reviews what is it they're actually talking about it's mm. it's, it's always more than is it good or bad mm-hmm. but is what is good or bad about it and that's where I say it comes down to the individual you will like it if you like it <laughs> yeah but I mean the important you... thing is people have to see it that does always help um the um do you think it's one of those films that's going to be reappraised in perhaps another sort of five to ten years' time and actually think, this is pretty good? I do. Yeah. I think it's going to be seen as um, somewhat ahead of its time, uh, ah, which, mm. to be fair, is not unusual. Man, you know, he made Thief back in um, 1981, which um, brought in a whole host of sort of 70s concerns, but was also kind of looking ahead to more to greater concerns that would become more apparent in the 1980s mm-hmm. he made famously the first hannibal lecter film mm. manhunter at a time when serial killer was not a commonly used term mm-hmm. um and um yeah he made um, the insider 
um, very you know, which is to do with how does how do individuals sort of ma- maintain some sense of individuality within mm-hmm. a corporate world, which mm-hmm. would go on, which is you know an increasingly and major intent. concern. And I think notable. I mean, this film comes out in Black Hat comes out in twenty fifteen, and the following year, what happens? We've got discussions of. Cambridge Analytica and other mm-hmm. such organizations interfering, digital interference with elections. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think he was ahead of the curve. Yeah, very prescient, really. I mean, oh, yeah. looking at, uh, at what has happened since 2015, really. So, indeed, indeed. So, yes, yeah, so um, I certainly hope that people will look back at it and say, oh, good Lord, um, Black Hat was uh, warning us about this stuff beforehand. Um, <laughs> yeah, and this kind of uh, techno thriller, cyber thriller. Um, digital noir, <laughs> uh, trademarked. I think I hope that I'm oh, I'm all I'm all for it, and I hope to see more of them. Marvelous, um, Vincent. You have convinced Dr. Kino to leave this in the Emporium. I think we will pop it in the front window and give it a polish every now and then, and urge people to see it. So that is Black Glad Hat from Black Hat from 2015 by Michael Mann. You've heard it here first. Okay, Vincent. It's been wonderful speaking to you again, as always. Um, well thought out opinions. Um, very eloquently expressed. Um, do you have anything you're working on at the moment in terms of research or any anything you're uh, anything you want to uh, to share with us? Yes, certainly. Um, I am currently uh, researching something very different from um, uh, digital crime. I am researching historical spy dramas. So mm-hmm. from um, the good American, sorry, the quiet American, to the mm-hmm. good shepherd, mm-hmm. to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, I'm looking at what I call um, nostalgic espionage of Mm. the 21st century films that um, present the espionage of the 20th century to examine and critique the um, cultural and political and social discourses of the 21st. So Mm. that is my uh, current project. Fantastic. Is that an article or a book? It's a book. Brilliant. Which I call The Spy with the Blood-Tinted Glasses. Love it. Okay, and that's with which publisher? Oh, it's um, uh, it's still in the uh, research and development stage. Okay, not a problem, and I'm sure it will find a home. It certainly deserves it by the sound of the title alone. Okay, Vincent, thank you so much for coming by the Emporium. Delighted to have been here, Dr Kino, and uh, next time, maybe I'll knock. Indeed, yeah, I might have beef up my uh, internet security on that score, so yeah. I should, yeah, I mean, yes. it, it, it's not good. It, it I'm, needs, I'm wide it needs open. a bit of attention. Indeed. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye. Bye. And if you want to follow either Dr. Gain or Dr. Kino on Twitter, um, the Dr. Kino Film Emporium handle is at Dr. Kino2, and Vince's handle is at Dr. Gain with an E. That's D R G A I N E. Take care and see you next week. Bye.